Welcome, it's Jeremy Allen Gould. I'm coming to you today to confirm between God and of man that in fact, the rumors that you have all heard are true. I started this podcast because I freaking love music. I was privileged enough to book amazing artists and bands in the past, and I was lucky enough to stay in touch with many of them to this day. This is a place to hear their stories. Thank you so much for riding along on this journey, and I hope you enjoy what you hear. With that said, the rumors are definitely true. My name is Jeremy, and this is the latest episode of the Rumors Are True podcast. Welcome back. Today, I welcome Mark Nash. You know Mark from the band PFR, also known as Pray for Rain, as well as the band In Parallel. Mark and I have an awesome conversation where we talk about the beginning of PFR, all the acclaimed records, including the Grammy-nominated Pray for Rain, Goldie's Last Day, Great Lengths, and Them. Mark and I have an incredible conversation. It's amazing to be able to talk to somebody uh, that I loved as a teenager and still to this day adore those records. Awesome opportunity, and I hope you enjoy this latest episode with Mark Bash. Mark, thank you so, so much for coming on the podcast. I really, really appreciate it, man. Absolutely, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. That's a, it's an honor. Yeah, no, it's an honor for me. <laughs> the 17, 16 year old kid uh, seeing you guys uh, play on uh, the Goldie's Last Day tour. That if you'd have told me I'd, I'd be doing this right now, I'd be laughing in your face. So I'm really. So really where do you remember? Well, I'm sure you do. Where was that? It was actually at a, a community college. Uh, I think it was like Kaiser University or something to that nature. I can't remember. It's weird because I lived in Maryland at the time. Okay. And um, we would. You know, it's 15, 20 minutes from there. So we would go down. Newsboys would play there. You guys played there. Bride played there. Steve Bride. Taylor played there. <laughs> it was all these, like, cool tours that would come through in the middle of nowhere. And it was like my buddies and I, we, we would just go down there and be like, cool, these are bands that we like. And so we got to see you guys on that. So that was really, really awesome. So That's cool. That's so funny you mentioned Bride. On our very – before our record came out, um, we had finished it and we did, like, a, a promotional tour. Um and we did a couple shows with Bride. Oh, wow. So it was, yeah. And it was like the guys were super nice, but just the couldn't be more opposite bands. Totally. It was like power pop, whatever we were. And then basically, you know, the cult or, you know, yeah. whatever metal Zeppelin thing they were doing at yep. the time. That would have been it. It was hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> I thought it was. Where, yeah. What were the fan? Where the fan? What like was it like a split down the middle fans or was it like? Oh, it was just confusion. Yeah, just a <laughs> lot of people looking bewildered. Well, nobody really knew about us at the time. Oh, okay, because so, our record hadn't come out, so we were just you know, the venues or you know, the promoters were doing us a favor. 
I got you. I got yeah. you. Well, that's a really cool story. I, I like that. <laughs> so tell me, <clears throat> Mark, what have you been up to lately? What's what's going on in your life? And uh, yeah, just tell me what's what's uh, what's. Yeah, so I live in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, I've been here since. Dash moved here in 96, 97, um, and um, work-wise, so I had been doing music, you know, full-time as a living until about 10 years ago, and then um, felt like I needed a break of, of like, all right, how are we going to figure out how to, how to um, make money doing music because the industry had changed so much. Sure. And so, um, yeah, so I got into real estate here, uh, about 10 years ago. And so I've been doing that, um, for work, but still, still doing musical, you know, having tons of musical outlets as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. so yeah, it's the state of the union, um, at this point. That's cool. Do you ever have anyone that recognize you when they buy a house from you? I've had a couple of those. It's but it's usually it's usually kind of in the middle or towards the end of the process where it's been like, hey, by the way, I saw you when I was ten. You know. <laughs> it's usually there's been a couple of those. That's so, awesome. That's so yeah, cool. That's pretty funny. Yeah. That's rad. Sweet man. Well tell me what it was like growing up for you, um, how music kind of uh, infiltrated your life and maybe some influences and records and bands that kind of stuck with you. Uh, at that time and throughout the years. Yeah, absolutely. So I was born in 71 um, in Minneapolis, Minnesota, which I'm I'm so grateful that as luck would have it, I was I was growing up, you know, coming of age in that town at that at that time, you know, late mm-hmm. 70s, definitely the 80s, um, my junior high and high school. Um, that played such a huge that played a massive role in, in what I listened to. Um, you know, I, it's funny. I just always remember I'm the youngest of, uh, four siblings. So there was, you know, six people in the house. Um, and I just always from day one, I was always connected with music. I, uh, my earliest memory is just, I knew I wanted to play the drums Mm. and I used to, you know, when I was five or six, we had this, at the time there was this ice cream company called Kemp's and they had these like massive ice cream buckets, plastic buckets, <laughs> you know, it's like, I don't know, two gallons of ice cream. Yeah. And when we would finish those, I would save those. And eventually, you know, I, I could make a drum set out of those. Oh, that's cool. Um, so I just was, I don't know. I just was always connected with playing the drums and music. It just was, uh, it was something that was in there. Um, So, you know, at that time, you know, MTV was happening um, and that was a huge influence. So I discovered a lot of bands that way. um, And going over, you know, my friends, I would go over to their house, like fifth, sixth, seventh grade. We were, my friends were, you know, we were all picking up instruments and Mm -hmm. started playing in these, you know, little pickup bands. And, and I remember one early on, this was probably fifth or sixth grade. We would rehearse at, um, I'm using the word rehearse real (laughs) loose as fifth and sixth graders. We were trying to play one song. Um, 
but you know, uh, the guitar player in this band, he had a much older brother and he would basically just sit us down and be like, listen to this, you know? And early on it was, you know, it was a lot of rush, a lot of journey queen. Um, and then one day we were over there and we were trying to play a rush song and he sat, he was like, couldn't take it anymore. And he was like, brought us in his room and sat us down. And he was like, all right, listen to this. And uh, REM's Chronic Town had nice. just come out. And and he just forced us to listen to that. And it changed my life. Um, and so from there, and then quickly he was like, okay, REM connects to these local bands, the replacements, Husker Du, um, you know, that whole scene. Sure. Because at that time in the early 80s, they were, they were all... all even though, you know, REMs from Athens, Georgia, sure. many, you know, Easter Dew replacements and, and that whole scene. But they did share kind of a touring route um, because college radio was just beginning to be a thing. Like there wasn't even the title alternative music at that sure. point. It just was called college radio. And so that, that industry and that genre was just beginning and those bands would tour together. Um, so I was... I was fortunate enough to, to, as a young kid, sort of be whisked into this really cool burgeoning scene. And, and again, like I said, I, you know, it just was, it was, I was lucky that I just happened to grow up in that town at, at that time. And it was a very creative city. Um, and so that started. And so quickly, you know, quickly it's like, you too gets in there okay. and then, you know, and then all, and then there's that, you know, the cure is in there. And yeah. so we're just quickly discovering all these bands and it's super exciting. And we had a great record store, uh, downtown Minneapolis called Northern lights. And my friends and I would, you know, after school, maybe once or twice a week, we would take the bus from the suburbs of Minneapolis where we grew up and go downtown and, and, and just, and just be discovered or, or be introduced to yeah. all these amazing records and bands. Um, and even, you know, stuff outside of the, that alternative world. I remember being down there one day and it was the day that, um, uh, run DMC's, uh, Raisin Hell came out mm. and I hadn't really listened to hip hop much at that time, but that just stopped me in my tracks. And so yeah. that opened up a whole other other world um so yeah that was and then junior high started getting serious you know as we became uh, again using this lightly better musicians or just getting older <laughs> yeah. um we started solidifying some bands and so i want to say ninth tenth grade i had my group of friends um there was four of us that were kind of our super tight and we started a band where we could actually like play i think it was ninth grade we started this band that was it was mainly covers and yeah. we would play high school you know or junior high dances and and stuff but it was all rem u2 um yeah. i think we did a punk version of paint it black oh, wow. um uh, which actually is a really great punk song oh yeah uh, um 
and then like a monkey's tune. But we, you know, we learned 20 songs. Um, wow. That was eighth, ninth grade. We did that. Then around 10th grade, um, that thing kind of ended. Uh, well, the guitar player of that band left. And then another one of our other best friends came in and started playing guitar. And this was 10th grade. And this was the, our first time like writing new material. Oh, cool. And uh, so that band was called the Rebel Tonic Toads. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'll, I'll uh, let that sink in, everybody. It was spelled. So we were watching the He-Man Masters of the Universe movie. Yeah. And there's a thing in there. I can't remember who said whoever is playing He-Man or some. I don't I can't remember. Uh but they say the phrase replatonic tones, that's, which that's weird on its own. And then somebody turned and said, did they say rebel tonic toads? And then immediately we're like, well, that's the band name. <laughs> but it was rebel, R-E-B-A-L, tonic, connected. So that was one word, rebel tonic, and then yeah. toads. Anyways, um, so then, yeah, we just started really enjoying writing our own material. And so we wrote, so this is, you know, 10th, 11th grade. Um, and then we start playing, we get good enough where, you know, we're playing at the high school yeah. and then we're able to, as high school kids get out and play a couple club shows. So first Avenue, which is like the main legendary yeah, I've heard of that. club in Minneapolis, there's a, there's a little side room called the seventh street entry. And so we were able to, to play there think once or twice which oh, wow. was amazing um because the history in that room again that's where like i would sneak in and see who's do and the replacements yeah. and all this stuff um and then occasionally they had some all ages shows like i feel like i saw tracy chapman there wow right as her first record this is before fast card wrote but um but it's yeah so we were able to start playing there um and it was great and you know unfortunately we never got to get into a studio and like properly record these songs wow. we have some like live stuff but I, I really wish we would have been able to do that um and so this is high school during the summers you know, at the same time, I'm also, I grew up in a church, you know, in an evangelical free church in Minneapolis. That was the denomination my family went to. And in northern Minnesota, there was a camp that was affiliated with that denomination. And we were very, our family was very involved in that camp. Our church was, the youth group was. Um, so around when I was 14 or 15, when you turn 14 or 15, you can start working at the camp all summer long. So it's like, you're up there for yeah. two months plus. And it was a blast. So 14, 15, I start working up there during the summers. Um, my June, I want to say uh, my junior year, I was up there and um, this guy from comes to the camp to start doing some music from Brainerd, uh, which if you've seen the movie Fargo, the Coen, oh, love that movie. Coen brothers. Yeah. So Brainerd is where the murders happen or the okay. murder. Uh, so that's very close to the camp. <laughs> uh, and so my June, uh, summer of, as I'm about to get into my junior year, there's a guy that comes to camp 
and starts to do some music stuff. Um, and that guy's name is Joel Hansen. Oh, nice. Um, and so quickly we meet, we become friends. We're, we're about five years age difference. He's five years older. Um, but our sense of humor really connects and we, you know, we start hanging out and becoming friends and then, and then there's the music conversation too. Right. So, and Joel had been writing songs on his own. Um, and so we started doing concerts at this camp, um, just the two of us, which is hilarious. Um, and there, so yeah, the, this is what 86 87 so you know there are songs that sound like they were written in 86 <laughs> 87 but you know they were really great and joel's joel's fantastic guitar player yeah. amazing voice writing these these really these really interesting songs but it's you know it wasn't necessarily the type of music i had been playing i i had grown up basically just being in in punk rock bands. Yeah. Um, and then playing, and then, uh, playing jazz at school. Oh, cool. Um, we had a big band that started in, I think sixth grade. And I did that all the way up until graduation. So I was playing jazz during the day and then punk after school. And then I meet Joel at camp and we start getting into, you know, a, a, a different genre. That's a little, that kind of harkens back to a little more of the, you know, progressive rock, stuff the rush and the journey and um but we just really our friendship connected really quick and then we just enjoyed playing music together so um i go back to school my uh um yeah so go back to school come back the next summer which is right before I believe it's right before my senior year. So again, the timeline is super mushy. So bear with me. Um, And then, but Joel and I had been staying in touch throughout because I think he came down to Nashville that um, during that school year to, to get into songwriting and and stuff. And, and so anyways, summer, we reconvene at the camp and then we start getting a little more serious about writing and playing. And, and there's a guy at the camp that plays bass and he kind of comes in and, and fills in. And, and so at the end of that summer, I'm about to enter into my senior year of high school and, and kind of, it was, you know, the last week as we're all about to part ways. And, um, Joel was planning on moving to Minneapolis, um, and we just sat down and decided, like, me, this this feels like it could get some there's something yeah. here. Yeah. So, you know, let's commit to just to keep doing this. And so my senior year, um, because we're connected to this, this church camp, there's all these churches, you know, affiliated with the denomination. So now we're starting to, these kids are coming back to their youth groups and, and saying like, Hey, let's get these guys to come play on Wednesday nights and Saturdays. So our Wednesday nights and weekends started getting booked. And this is my senior year of high school. Wow. In that fall, that's when Joel is also at some point in this season, we meet, uh, Patrick comes into the picture because he's in Brainerd. He grew up in Brainerd too. Joel was working at a church. Patrick starts going to this church, possibly because of a, a girl he liked. <laughs> uh, and then he's 
and then he brings his bass. Joel hears him. He's like, you're fantastic. Would you be interested in coming? And, and, and then with, with Patrick, it just was an immediate, um, immediate connection, immediate friendship. And then it was just, it was like, okay, yeah, this is, this is what it is. So, and Patrick and I are the, the same age. So that our senior year, we start playing at all these different churches and start writing and start writing more. Um, and then we graduate, the band starts picking up. We start doing a lot of things, um, locally, little, you know, little outside, you know, getting to Wisconsin, yeah. you know, a little more regional, um, around this time there is a Christian rock club that opens in Minneapolis, um, like downtown Minneapolis. Oh, cool. It's actually, um, in purple rain, this club. Um, nice. yeah. So a little history there. Um, so anyways, we start. um, I drive down there. We have a little real crude demo tape, give it to the club owner. They have a battle of the bands. We enter and then we end up winning that thing. Um, and that allows us to start opening up for, National bands that nice. are coming in. Um, were they were they Christian bands or was it was all, all Christian? Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was all Christian bands. Um, so we, I mean, trying to think the early some of the early people we opened up for it was like Jeff Moore in the distance nice. was one of them. Nice. Um, uh, um, David Mullins, do you remember? Oh, I remember that him. Guy? I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so we opened up for them, and his two members of his band, backing band, were Scott and Christine Dente, who oh, yeah, later became Out of the Gray. So that's where we first, and none of us are signed at this point. It's just, you know, we're just meeting all these people um, and developing these relationships. And then, uh, uh, we opened up and were Larry Norman's band. Whoa. Yeah. Which was crazy. I bet. Um, and uh, he told us stories about being drugged by the Russian uh, <laughs> government. And that's a real thing. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. So that was, that was an interesting weekend. Um, and then, and then one weekend uh, there's this guy, Steve camp, who was, yeah, uh, I remember that. I think he was, Yeah singer songwriter guy. Um, so we opened up, um, and it was a Friday, Saturday night. And so we opened up for him. Um, the guys in his backing bands, uh, he had a bass player and a drummer bass player was, uh, Jimmy Lee Slows. Oh, yeah. And the drummer was this guy named Bobby Blazer. So they see us that first night. They kind of take us aside and they're like, Hey, we, we get, you know, we like what you're doing. Um, Bobby was starting to um, be involved with this producer, Brown Bannister, who yeah. produced Amy Grant and Amy Grant uh, and a bunch of other people. Um, and he was like really in his, he, he, uh, he was having a lot of success yeah. at that time. Yeah. Right. So this is, this we're talking now we're in like the nineties, 1990. 91, maybe. Um, so anyways, we give those guys, we give Jimmy and Bobby a demo tape. They take it back to Nashville. 
um, play it for Brown. Brown's interested. Hey, let's have the guys come down and do a, a showcase. I want to nice. see him play live. So, I mean, it, it happened really quick. I, my memory is we were in the car driving down there not long after opening up for Steve camp and, and meeting Jimmy and Bobby. And we, they booked some time at uh, SIR, which is a rehearsal spot. And it's really just us and the three of them either sitting on the floor or sitting in chairs. And it's wildly awkward, bet, <laughs> you know, I to bet. just like rock out and then silence. Um, yeah. And they're just like standing there staring. Um, that said, uh, we heard later from, from Jimmy that after the first song, Brown just leaned over and he said, I get it. Mm. Um, which is like really, a really touching endorsement. Absolutely. And then, and then, so he's, so Brown is starting this imprint under the umbrella of this bigger label called Sparrow which was fairly successful at yeah. the time in the Christian music world. Um, and so we loved the idea of, we were all, we were big fans of Brown's productions. Um, and so being aligned with him was, yeah, was a huge selling point. And then by that time we had developed a really, even though it, things happened very quick meeting Jimmy and Bobby, we connected with those guys Um very fast and um yeah we could just tell like this group of people this works um there's some energy here yeah. where where the um we feel like we can work well together um so yeah after that showcase it really wasn't long so we go back to minneapolis we're up there for a minute there's some sort of contract negotiations we're back in the uh, the car driving back to Nashville to sign a record deal, wow. and then a couple couple days later, drive to Memphis to start the very first record. Wow! Uh, yeah, I yeah. wanted to talk. I wanted to talk about that record, um, "Pray for Rain." Yeah, just tell me kind of your thoughts um, on that time, and you know, when you were writing the songs, were you guys super stoked on them? Were you like, was uh, Brown and Jimmy were they giving their two cents on the on the record as well? Like, just kind of how, how was that process? Yeah, definitely. Well, a lot of those songs for the first record had been written for a few years. Okay. Um, and if you listen to the demos or some of those early little cassette, you know, before we got signed and we, you know, made a couple little cassettes that we sold locally. Um, it was very, we were very, it was super prog rock. <laughs> it was like King. Wow. We were, we were listening to a lot of Kings X, a oh, lot yeah. of rush. Um, and, and journey and, and this band giants. Oh, um, yeah. So Dan Huff, yeah, Huff. Yeah. The Huff brothers. It, it was basically old white heart guys got a major label deal and we're like swinging for the fences. Yeah. Um, um, and so we were big fans of those guys and, you know, as players and songwriters. And so that was a big influence. So before Jimmy and Brown and Bobby, you know, uh, helped us out, it was, it was like, 
there was a lot going on <laughs> and uh, they just helped us, you know, and at the same time we were listening to crowded house and, yeah. and um, okay. I think the jellyfish record had come out wow. um, yeah. the first one. And that was like a big deal too. And the Beatles were a big deal oh, for us too. So Jimmy and Brown and Bobby on that first record were critical in helping funnel and get us into focus of what of of really what our sound was they were yeah. like all right let's stop the weird time signatures and all the weird you know let's just get to the song really um and that was i mean we couldn't have done it without those guys and without yeah. that input so they were super they were really involved and 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 we're all we're all grateful you know looking back hindsight it was you know 30 years, they, they, uh, they gave us a career. Yeah, <laughs> you know, absolutely. Um, and it also felt natural. Like once they, they were like, all right, let's take this stuff. Like it didn't feel like we were, you know, we were being something that we weren't. It just, we were now more, we were tighter and streamlined yeah. and, and, you know, we didn't know what we were doing. You know, I think when, we signed the record deal and started tracking the record at Ardent Studio in Memphis, which is a world famous studio. Like mm -hmm. my favorite REM record was made there. Wow. And the Stones recorded there. And we were just like kind of losing our mind that we got to be in this room. But, you know, Patrick and I were 20. Yeah. And we didn't know anything. We didn't know anything about anything. So, you know, that record, that first record, especially, you know, they were teaching us how to, how to record properly, how to be, you know, educating us on how to be better musicians. And, sure. and, you know, so it took a lot of patience, um, on their end. Um, and we, and I feel like we did, we did respect them so much that we were just like, we were all ears <laughs> and pretty much whatever they said, we were like, yep. Well, uh, yeah. We're going Absolutely. for that. So, um, so yeah, it was, I mean, it was super exciting. Again, we were 20 and we yeah. had signed a record deal and, and we were doing these amazing things, um, with people that we really looked up to and really respected. So it was, um, we have a lot of fond memories of that, that first yeah. record. Um, so we, we tracked drums and some bass at Ardens in Memphis. Um, that might've been five or six days maybe. And then went to Nashville and finished the rest of the record. Sure. Um, uh, Brown had a studio called the dugout on music row. And we just, we did the rest of the record there and we just banged it out. And, and that really started, you know, once we made that drive to Nashville to sign and then to Memphis, that started a cycle for the next seven ish years where it was make a record, go on tour, make a record, go on tour, mm -hmm. maybe come home for Christmas. <laughs> you know, <laughs> no, so it was, yeah, it was, that was the beginning of a really, um, you know, we wanted to grind it out. We wanted to work and we sure. wanted to, we loved playing and we loved touring and, and making records, but it was like, we were, um, it was off to the races. 
That's awesome. What um when you finally got the finished copy and you played it for the first time or, or listened to it, what was what were your thoughts? Yeah, it was pretty wild. Um, and again, like I said, you know, we didn't know anything mm-hmm. about anything, and so there was a certain part of the process that we didn't. Well, I'll I'll tack onto that that conversation. We also didn't know that we had some agency and we could and we could ask for things. So mm. we got done making the record and then just and then went home and then started touring again. And then the record got mixed in Nashville without us being there. So um, one day we get a FedEx and it was like, here's your record, mm. <laughs> and which was very exciting. Yeah. Um, and pretty surreal. Um, and then at the same time, you know, that was the first time it sort of planted a seed of like, Oh, well, that was an interesting choice they made. Um, Mm. um, yeah. So there was, uh, I'll just speak for myself uh, of my memories. Um, it was super exciting, but then, um, yeah, there was a little bit of that, like, oh, well, that's that's a unique choice, you know. That mm. maybe if we wouldn't have been there, I don't know, hard to say. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was great, and then and then we just started touring, um, yeah. and I want to say the record came out in the fall of whatever that year was, ninety one, ninety two, um, and. And we toured really hard and we also brought our own PA system with us. Oh, wow. So, and it was like, because it, the show sounding good was really important for us. So we would, we brought a pretty decent PA with us and we, we were setting that thing up and tearing it down and loading it. Wow. Um, so it was a lot of work. Um, um, but yeah, so we were record comes out, I think, in the fall of whatever that year was. And then come December, January, the record had only been out for a few months. We get a call that we get nominated for a Grammy. Unbelievable. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So then a few months later, we're at the Grammys. It, it's not even a year from when our record was released. Um, so that kind of energy and momentum like happens felt like it happened really quick. Um, yeah. And again, we don't know what we're doing. So it's kind of like, oh, this is just how it goes. <laughs> <You know? laughs> this is, oh, this is, this is just what it is. That's um, hilarious. It was, an, it was an amazing experience. We're, we're so grateful. We still talk about it. Like, yeah. tell the same stories over and over again about it. We met Weird Al Yankovic and, and then met him again in the, after the show, after the Grammys, he lost his car. And so we <laughs> gave him, we gave him a ride to it. He's like, I got to go to this other party. And we were like, come on in, we'll drive you. And so we drive him to this other party. That's so cool. We pull in the limo line. We have some van and it's pretty on brand for weird Al. We just slide open the door and he just runs out and he's like, thanks guys. That's um, hilarious. So yeah, it was super fun. Um, and then back on the road. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how long were you on the road till you started to work on Goldie's last day? I mean, I, I assume for quite a while and were you writing the songs on tour as well, or did you start to do that? Um, in the, in the studio? Yeah, I, I think we, my memory is that we were, 
we were riding on the road and then we would, we would, would shed stuff out like during sound check. Um, and, and I do recall almost for every record, it was, it was a slog for us to get 10 songs that we were, that felt like these go together and, mm-hmm. um, you know, this fits and we're happy with, yeah. you know, these are decent songs. Um, that is my memory of, of, of all the records. It was like, sure. oof, you know, there weren't too many, it was just to get 10, you know? Sure. Um, but yeah, for, for goalies, a lot of that was written on the road. Yeah. Except for the song goldies, it was kind of started on, the road as a joke, just to kill time. Just, um, um, and yeah. So the song Goldies, we were writing it on the road is kind of a joke and at, you know, so our first record, uh, is out. Um, Oh, also with the Grammy thing, when it came out in all the newspapers, a couple of weeks later, we get a letter or manager gets a letter from an attorney that basically says, Hey, congratulations on the Grammy nomination. Uh, you guys don't have the right to the name pray for Ray. Oh yeah. So, and I won't walk, get in the weeds on, sure. on, on the, how all that, but basically they were like, there was a loophole, even though we did trademark it, these guys found a loophole and they basically said, give us a bunch of money or change your name. Uh-huh. So we didn't have any money. So people at the label started calling us PFR just for short. Yeah. So it just, it was the lesser of, of two evils, a, a couple of evils. So we, so yeah, in between the first record and Goldie's, that's when we, we just went to, sure. went to PFR. Um, but yeah, so most of it was was written on the road. The song Goldies was um again, it was kind of a joke that we were writing mm-hmm. just to pass the time. Um and also in that time of our first record and and rounding the corner to getting into our second record, we we had some frustrations with certain things sure. that were happening on the label side. Um, they were very supportive and they were great. Um, but we were, again, we were young and we were learning sure. and, and, you know, developing a relationship. And um, so there were some frustrations. So um, as a, as we were getting ready to record the label asked us like what we thought we, you know, any ideas for like the name of the record. And so as sort of young idiots, (laughs) we were like, yeah, we're going to call it Goldie's last day. It's about Patrick's dead dog. And we thought they were going to get mad and they were going to, you know, uh, it was going to, you know, uh, the response was awesome. We love that idea. Let's hear the song. And the A&R guy was like, I'll be, I'm coming down to the studio in the afternoon. Would love to hear the song. <laughs> so I'm tracking drums and we actually have, we've recently found, uh, 
footage of, of this. Oh, happening. that's cool. Um, so I, while I'm tracking drums, uh, so this is for this, again, the second record. Um, and we did it all here in Nashville. Um, I'm tracking drums. Joel and Patrick are frantically in another room trying, trying to, to write, write it. <laughs> and they, and they do. And they, and they finish, they finish Goldie's, um, and play it for the label. And we're like, great, love it. <laughs> and that's then hilarious. that's, yeah. And so it, it started as, as a joke and, and kind of like trying to get under the skin of the label. And then, uh, they had the last laugh. Wow. Uh, question real quick. Um, yeah. did you feel any pressure since obviously nominated for a Grammy next record? Did you feel like you had to hit it out of the park essentially? Um, I don't, well, each one of us might have a different response to that. Um, you know, Joel might've felt a little more pressure. Um, you know, he was older. He's the, you know, Patrick sings as well and is an amazing singer and songwriter and they share a lot of leads, which is kind of the thing of the band. Um, but I think Joel shouldered a lot of, a lot of that stuff. So, you know, I'm speaking for him. Maybe he, sure. he felt some of that, um, You know, I, I don't have strong memories of like, oof, this huge pressure. You know, we wanted to make a great record. And I sure. think it was, it was very important to us. And I think you see this on, on all of the records that we don't do. I think the main thing is like, let's progress. We don't want to make the same record, the record before. We want to grow creatively, you know, and if, people and of course the label and and you know they're wanting things to go to radio and we weren't certainly weren't averse sure. to to having our songs on the radio and 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 there was clearly a pop element to what we did so um but i think at that point there probably wasn't as much pressure i would say later on like maybe great lengths and, okay. and them like the third and fourth record we had built a bit more of a, uh, a base. Um, and there was probably a little more pressure at sure. that point. Yeah. Um, and during this time when you're, uh, recording the record and I guess, uh, are you playing shows as well, or is it just primarily working on the record? Yeah. When we were making the record, it was just, we just blocked off that time. Yeah. So, and it was typically, we would crank it out and, you know, a month, yeah. or five weeks. Yeah. It was, it was really, really quick. Sure. Um, but then, and then it was back on the road, you know, did you, did you see the, a lot of, did you see the amount of people since, since the Grammy nod did, were the sizes of the shows getting bigger and bigger and bigger? It was, yeah, it was, you know, from the first record into the second record Goldie's like, it was just a really nice steady, yeah. you know, this month, you know, it's a little more people showing up and the next month, a little more and a little, yeah, more, and yeah, a little yeah. more. And, 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 and we did fairly well at Christian radio back then. And, and, you know, during the nineties, that, that genre was, was really growing and really totally. exploding. Um, and we just happened to be in the middle of, of while that was happening. So it was like, records were being sold, yeah. you know, um, people listened to those radio stations, um, that we were getting played on. Um, so yeah, it just was a really nice gradual 
crowds getting bigger, our operations are getting big, bigger. We can afford, you know, better equipment, yeah. you know, and, um, but yeah, we, it, it touring was really key. Yeah. Um, and we played a lot, we played yeah. a lot of shows. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, another thing that, um, that happened during Goldie's is, um, and so the first record was produced by Jimmy and Bobby who discovered us at that mm-hmm. club in Minneapolis. The second record, it was just Jimmy producing yeah. us. Um, but then another really important figure comes into our life. This guy named Gordon Kennedy. Oh yeah. Um, who's, who was a friend of Jimmy's. Um, he's an amazing guitar player, uh, and producer and songwriter. Um, he currently plays with, uh, Garth Brooks, wow. who was a country singer. <laughs> uh, and then when he's not playing with Garth, he plays with Peter Frampton Jimmy and produces Lee. his records. So unbelievable. He's a thing. So Jimmy starts bringing Gordon into the picture and Gordon, uh, and we were very, as a band, we were very adamant. We're only going to, we're only going to record our own songs. Um, but then Gordon comes in and again, we're big fans of him and just can't believe he's hanging out with us. And, um, he brings in a song uh, that he wrote called that kind of love Oh yeah, and, um, plays it for us. And we're like, yeah, we would love that was like, because it's Gordon, because it's this song, we'll sort of, we'll sort of break precedent. Um, and that, that ended up being, um, fairly successful on radio, which helped when the Goldies record came out, that really helped the crowds in that season continue to, to grow. And, and, that was a real catalyst to, to see that. That's awesome. Um, looking back on it on, uh, you know, obviously pretty, I would assume pretty proud of that record. Um, when you listen to it, um, you know, primarily when you did listen to it, how'd you feel about it? And how do you feel about it now? Yeah, it's, um, I felt really good. I, I remember feeling really, really proud of that record. Um, I think we did progress. Um, yeah. And look, listening to it now, because we have in 2022 and 23, we've played a few shows. So we're going back and, and listening to this stuff. And there's some really, there's some songs that I'm really proud of on that, yeah. that are, that still hold up, that still feel very creative. And we all kind of say that almost like it's not us. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> Oh, those kids, those kids back then, <laughs> they did, they did some cool stuff. So yeah, I'm like, as, as the drummer, like there's some songs, there's a song called mercy man. Yeah. Um, and there was a few man songs. There was dying man, mercy man. Uh, but I'm really proud of, of those drum parts. And, yeah. and I think we did some, I think we, yeah, again, the pressure was to sort of to keep doing creative stuff. Yeah. yeah. And at that point, we were way into Jellyfish and Crowded House and the Posies, this band, the Posies from Seattle. Yeah. Um, and that was giving, and so getting into the Posies and that whole scene, right? So we're talking early 90s still. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we start listening to, the, to all that stuff. Um, and so that... You, 
you start seeing a little bit of an edge creep in at Goldie's and then definitely on Great Lengths. On the third record, Great Lengths. Yeah. It's just like such a huge. Absolutely. I, such I a huge swing. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, I, you know, it's funny because you mentioned the Prague uh, influence earlier. I Now that you say that, I can totally see that on Great Lengths. Like, look, you know, now I'm thinking about it. Wow, I can totally see that. And of course, I can see the Crowded House influence and all that. So let's talk about that record. Um, I, I think all your records are fantastic, but this is the one I gravitated to the most. I think it's a yeah. fantastic record through and through. Um, not that the others aren't, but I just, this is the one for me that I still to this day just jam quite often. So let's talk about yeah. that record and, and kind of, you know, the recording of that and, and just your thoughts on that as well. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. That's probably my favorite of, of the batch. Um, and it was a real, I think that was the thing where as a whole from the photos to, you know, the artwork to everything, I think that really, that captured like a full complete, um, snapshot of where we were sure um and it really represented because at that point we had learned some agency and we had learned to say no we want we want this yeah. you know this is the direction we're going and and we learned to say no a little bit sure um because there's stuff like even though we love goldie's last day it's like the cover is atrocious like we're <laughs> embarrassed by that cover um, and a lot of that was, you know, and the first record is a tear, uh, is not a fun cover. To, <laughs> it's, it's brutal. Um, but we didn't know, you know, we sure. didn't know. Right. So great links. We were, we had learned enough to be able to be like, all right, let's, um, let's really, uh, assert ourselves. Sure. Um, Cause I, and I feel like we, at that point we had earned, you know, we felt like we had earned enough the ability to do that. Yeah. yeah. To be able to say that. Right. So, um, yeah, it was. So recording that record. And again, we wrote a lot of those songs on the road. Um, um, Patrick was definitely bringing more stuff to the table, um, um, which he definitely did on Goldies as well, but sure. even more. And, and Joel and Patrick co-writing. Um, and, then, and then Gordon. Um, we did another Gordon song, and I want to say Joel and Gordon wrote together on that. Um, so there's just more confidence sure. on that. Um, and it was really, it was a fun record to make. Um, we tracked the drums. I don't know if we did any bass, but, um, cause we were all still living in Minneapolis at that mm -hmm. time, um, through a weird series of events. Um, Prince was going to be in LA for seven or eight days doing some VH1 award mm -hmm. things. And he was, he brought everybody from Paisley park, his recording, massive recording complex and where he makes, you know, made his movies and rehearses. And it's just this, it's this giant wizard of Oz yeah. building in the middle of cornfields um, outside <laughs> of Minneapolis. 
Um, and I, where I grew up as a kid was very, was fairly close. Okay. Um, and so I used to see him like riding around on the motorcycle and, and stuff like that, like legit. So cool. In Minnetonka. Um, <laughs> anyways, he's out of town, out of Paisley through some, somehow we think Brown finagled this Prince again, let me let that sink in. Yeah. Prince allowed us to use his personal studio while he was gone. So we we and we were the first artists outside of Prince to use his room. That's nice. Like cuz he had three there were three recording studios total at Paisley. Um and I had recorded in the other ones. Um but he would rent, you know, you could rent out the other ones, but he had his room. Yeah. Nobody could go in, but we were the first for whatever reason, somebody made that magic happen. So yeah, we tracked great links in unbelievable this uh, private room. Um, and so we and he, so he left one of his uh, engineers behind to just help us out. But it was pretty much just us. That's cool. We had run a Paisley Park for six or seven days, and this. Um, this engineer, I forgot what her name was, but, um, she was one of like two or three rotating engineers because yeah. off of the, off of the, his studio, there was like sleeping quarters because he would record for 48 hours, 72 hours straight. And the engineers couldn't keep up. So they would do like rotate hour yeah. shifts. Um, and she was one of those, but anyways, like, you know, she'd be like, Hey, you want to go down and see the vault? or rides a purple rain bike. And, you know, it was just crazy. We just had, that's cool. We had the run and the run of the run of the place. And, um, so yeah, great memories of that record. And yeah, I think we felt like, you know, we had been touring, we had been playing a lot together. So, yeah. and, you know, I think we were, there was a confidence there. Yeah. Um, that, that I think shows on that record. And we wanted to explore some darker things yeah. in there too. Um, just because the first two records were so happy fun ball. Yeah. Um, you know, it just felt like, ah, oh, this is kind of where we're at. Yeah. Um, no, I get that. Yeah. I can hear that in the music now that you say that. Yeah. Um, did, uh, what do you think of that record? I know you said it's probably your favorite, but just looking back on it, um, yeah, like when you heard it for the first time, let's ask, I'm asking it again, but you know, when you first heard it and then, and then looking back on it. Yeah. Well, that was another one where we weren't fully, I think we were there for some of the mixing, um, and some of it we weren't, mm-hmm. um, but that was, so if you there's a lot of stuff going on in that mix that is was not recorded okay um so when we did get it back it was super different but we actually liked it yeah um the guy who mixed it was like um you know he had a big sampler in his rig and so he was taking vocals and like doing weird, weird stuff, um, that actually ended up being really cool and being a, um, a real hallmark of, of that record. So, yeah. um, I think he crushed it. So that was a really pleasant surprise my memory sure. of getting that, getting the, the, 
I don't know if we got CDs at that point, whatever year that was. I don't know if we were on <laughs> CDs yet. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, I, again, I'm super proud of that. Um, and yeah, I think it's still, I think it still kind of holds up. It really it captures, it, it really captures um, the season where we were at. And that, it was also exciting too, because at that, right before that record came out, uh, EMI of Beatles, Pink Floyd, Sinatra fame, they bought Sparrow, the record okay. company we were on. And so they had, and that was all happening right when we were finishing up the Great Lengths record. Um, so they had designs on trying to break acts on the Sparrow roster into the you know general market. And they picked us as the first project. Oh, cool. And just because of our, you know, the Beatles, Queen, you know, all that, those, those influences, they devised a plan to try and break us in the UK first. Oh, nice. Um, and so that was really, that was an enjoyable part of that, of that season. Um, and then, when we, when the record came out and we toured it, we definitely saw a spike in, in crowd size. We were playing much bigger venues. Um, we were on a bus nice. for the first time, which was a huge thing. Yeah. Um, and then on that tour, um, so that great links tour, we did a, we did a spring, we did a bunch of, I mean, we toured a lot. So we did a, the first leg was in the spring and then summer was summer festivals and then sure. and then we did a, a fall leg and so on that tour we brought out this band called jars of clay oh yes so on, on the spring tour their record hadn't even come out yet wow and we had met those guys years ago i think the first they had come to some shows like when they were in high school a few of them so i want to say that's when we first met those guys and so yeah, we brought them out on that spring tour. They were still finishing up the record. I think the record came out at the end of that tour or the summer. And then that first Jars record kind of starts getting some energy during yeah. the festival, summer festival season. So when we pick the tour back up in the fall, there's a noticeable difference <laughs> in, in who's in the crowd. And so the crowd sizes were bigger Sure. And then a lot of people just coming to see jars and, wow. um, but it, we had so much fun with those guys. Okay. And, and so that experience has developed into this, this relationship with some of those guys that, you know, we're, we're still super tight today. That's so cool. Yeah. Very cool. Um, so after the touring and you, like you said, you're seeing, um, you know, some fluctuation, I guess, in the crowds, do you start to work on, an, uh, on the them record? I guess I should say, um, how, how does that kind of come to fruition? Yeah. So kind of at the end of that cycle, um, and as, as EMI is trying to, break us in the UK first. That was the plan. Like let's sure. try and break them in the UK first and then, and then see if we can um, bring it back over to the States. Um, so we were spending a lot of time over there. Like it, it's the, the, how to break a record in the UK compared to the States. It's, it's totally different uh, rule book. 
Yeah. So yeah. we would be over there for weeks at a time with not really sometimes, you know, there would be days where there wasn't much to do. We're just sure. waiting to get a phone call to like, okay, go do this BBC thing, or we got you on this festival or, and then yeah. we would rush off. And and we did, we did do, you know, we were able to string together like actual tour dates and stuff like that. But so while we were over there and we went up, we went over like back and forth several times What's happening behind the scenes is there's some life stuff happening with the three of us. Um, you know, Joel is married at that point. I don't think Patrick and I were married at that point. Um, so being gone is, is tough. Um, sure. And we were having some, as a group, we were, you know, I was kind of going through some things and asking yeah. some questions about, about yeah. you know, life and, and what, and, you know, to be totally honest, like faith and sure, all this sure. stuff, I was like, eh. um, and then there were some things internally with, with the band and how our business was being run and, and some people that were attached to how we were functioning as a band that was causing a, that had been causing a lot of frustration for years. So while we're over in Europe doing all this stuff, we decide the three of us get together one night and we decide like, I think it's probably time to shut this thing down. Wow. Like for a num for all of these, for many, many different reasons. Yeah. And then, and then it's like, you know, maybe we can quit while we're ahead kind of mm -hmm. concepts, you know, like the police, sure. you know, we were also big fans of the police and they kind of bowed out you know, yeah. at a certain level. And, you know, so there was a little bit of that in there, you know, some, all these frustrations about, yeah. And then all, each one of us, each um, individual had specific reasons unto themselves yeah. where it felt like, yeah. eh, let's do this. So we kind of make that announcement to our manager. We call the label. So we come back from the UK deciding, we're going to, we're going to wrap this thing up. And we asked the, you know, we let the label know. And, and we said like, we would still like to do one more record and just kind of like a final, yeah. Yeah. whatever call. Yeah. If you guys are okay with that. And they said, yes, we would absolutely, you know, sign on to that. So that's what the them record was. Okay. We walked into that record knowing this was going to be our in air quotes. Last one song. Yeah. 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 Um, and so we did that one in Minnesota at a studio called Pachyderm. Uh, well, that's where we tracked a chunk of the record um, at a studio called Pachyderm in Cannon Falls, Minnesota. Um, I think it was a year or it was a, I want to say it was a year or two before that uh, Nirvana did in utero oh, at wow. that studio and the breeders did last splash there. Uh, live did throwing copper wow there and the the console um in that studio was from it was uh used to be Jimi hendrix's so at electric cool. lady so he did a like that board like most of the hendrix records were done so cool right so so it's super cool um but yeah so we walked into that knowing this is this is going to be it yeah. And you didn't yeah. do any touring after that, right? It was just kind of like we did a, we did like a farewell tour. Uh, but, yeah. So I want to say it was 10 to 13 dates. Yeah. 
How do you feel about that record? Do you feel like you was it like stuff that you was very personal at the time, or was it just a record that you were like, let's just you know go with the flow on it? Yeah, there's some you know, um, I think all three of us are going to have different approaches to that record. You know, that record Patrick wrote a lot more and sang a lot more lead on that one, so that mm -hmm. has a that put it in a. Um, has a another flavor too, which is really great. Um, and there's, you know, it definitely gets a little more aggressive. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we push that a little more. Um, you know, I think I have some fond memories. Personally, I have some fond memories. There's also some tough memories around sure. that. Um, just stuff going on interpersonally mm -hmm. with us. Um, I was... Also at that time, I had just gotten engaged. Um, so there just, there was a lot, a lot going on. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot going on. So, um, you know, without getting too in the weeds, you know, there's, there's some complications for me around that record, but looking back, it's like, there's songs that are some of my favorite songs, like anything yeah. on that record is, is incredible. Great song. Yeah. Sweet, man. Well, so PFR ends. What um, what do you wind up doing after PFR? Do you just kind of take a hiatus from the music business in general, or you know, obviously start working, or you know, or, or you're playing? I you know, I know you mentioned earlier you were playing still. So what do you what do you do um, after PFR? Yeah, so so we we do this farewell tour, and then we do a final show in Minneapolis, and I. I think there was like nine or 10,000 people that That's showed nuts. up. And then after the show, it was like, all right, see you later. <laughs> um, and then we all just kind of just went our separate ways. And, and I think at that point I'd gotten married. Um, so um, got married to Lee who became Lee Nash, yeah. who was a singer in a band called six Pence on yeah. the So at that point, they were, you know, and they were active, you know, sure. we met at a festival uh, like Cornerstone, I think. Um, and so they were definitely an active band. But so when PFR ended, we got married and then they were touring a lot. So I wanted to get into production. So I started producing a little okay. bit, but I was also going on the road. You know, we were newly married and wanted to be together. And so I was touring with them quite a bit um, nice. in those first couple of years after PFR. Um doing some production work and, and learning more about making, um, making records or, or getting better at, at making records. Um, yeah. And, um, and then I was doing some filling in for other bands on occasion. Somebody needed a drummer for a week on the road and, Fill in. and I would, yeah. I would go out. Um, oh, and also at that time I did produce, I was producing a couple of records for this, um, independent or this um um what do you call it? imprints of benson records it was this little alternative label that benson had that was run by dan michaels uh, who oh was from the choir the choir yeah right? yeah, yeah. So he and i became really good friends he was the a and r guy at this at this imprint of benson doing you know it's like let's do alternative music and yeah ska was big at that time so it's <laughs> a ska band so I produced a couple records for him. Um, 
a ska record. Um, and then an indu industrial band um, who was a friend of mine. Um, and I think we actually won a Dove Award on that wow. record. Um, what was that called? Um, that was called Massive Vivid. Oh, I remember the that. The band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And I think the record was called Bright Blur or something. Mm -hmm. um, but it was super fun and I enjoyed yeah. it. Um, and so I was doing kind of that stuff. Um, going on the road with, with Lee, um, filling in with some bands. Um, and then one, so the guys, I knew the, you know, DC talk guys in the band, you sure. know, we used to play shows with PFR and, uh, the band guys of DC talk made a record on their own. And so they had, I don't know, four or five, six shows, drummer couldn't make it so i fill in um it was no offense to those guys i love those guys it was and it's not their fault it was a miserable tour <laughs> it was <laughs> so um there were there was a a couple bands opening up for these guys and and one of the bands was called silage um, oh, yeah, so yeah, that's yeah. where I meet. So in silage, I meet this guy, Lance Black and his brother, Shane. Um, and then in the first opening band, it's called Prophecy. And that's where I meet two guys, Matt Fine and Jesse. Jesse Fine. Fine. Yeah, I know. Those yep. guys. Yeah. So we meet on this tour and just sort of it's a trauma bond, right? Of yeah. just being fairly miserable. Um, and so the tour gets done and, but we, we really connect on music stuff. Yeah. So that's kind of where the relationship with those guys starts, which eventually, um, the, those, the, their bands, their, um, silage and prophecy break up out of that. They form this band called celebrity. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So cut to a few years later, um, sixpence is doing fairly well. Um, I have a studio in the house, um, and I start working, I start producing, um, celebrity. Nice. Um, and I, I can't remember when that first, the sleep EP came out. Um, but yeah, that was the, that's how that relationship started. It was early two thousands. I want to say. Yeah. I think um, it was early. Yeah. Cause I remember around that. when we put that first sleep project out. Um, and, and then, yeah. And then also around that time, um, Sixpence was on a label called Squint. That was, yeah, uh, Steve, run by Steve Taylor. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So very early on as he was getting that off the ground, um, and Sixpence was the only, the only artist, um, on the label. Uh, he asked me to, to be the A&R guy. Oh, that's cool. But yeah. So was doing some producing. So in between, you know, PFR ends, do some producing, do some playing. And then around, you know, early two thousands, I become the A&R guy at squint and do that for the history of the label, which was the Very next cool. several years. So, um, I worked, we had a hip hop collective called LA symphony that oh, I, yeah, I remember that I A&R'd and there was a record called roaring lambs. Um, we had signed a band called Chevelle. That yeah, I love that band. Great band. And Burlap Cashmere. And so, yeah, it was just a, that was, that was kind of my world in, in those years. 
That's right. um, and then while I'm at Squint, Joel and Patrick and I start talking again and we're like, boy, it'd be fun to kind of make music again yeah. and rediscover that. And there had been some, I think Joel and Patrick had been writing some stuff and kind of shared it. And so I go to Steve. Yeah, this is early 2000s. And since he's my boss, I'm <laughs> like, hey, we're, you know, Joel and Pat and I are talking about maybe just, you know, doing some recording and we'd love to play a show here and there. And, you know, I just need, you know, what do you think? You know, we'll, you know, basically, can I get some time to go pursue this? And Steve's re response was, well, let's just do it on squint. That's so cool. So I go back to the guys after some talking, talking with Steve, we agree, like, let's do a full on project um, PFR record on squint and all A and R it. And at that time, squint was having success in the general market with yeah. Sixpence and Chevelle and some other things. And so there was a little bit of, you know, we had always had like either heard from people or I don't know, maybe secretly like we could maybe get on radio, you know, like regular radio. Sure. And so now we have access to this, this system and this apparatus that's saying like, let's give it a shot. Sure. Um, so we all put our hands in and agreed to do that. And that's what the disappear record is. Oh yeah. yeah. Which again, I think that was 2001, 2002, something. So the intention of that record was very much, let's try and have a hit. Yeah. Um, and so we make that record up in, in Minnesota. Um, it has a release date. And again, I'm in the band and also A&Ring the project. <laughs> so there's a little, you know, yeah. there's a little uh, extra few plates to spin. Sure. So, um, we have a release date. We set up a two week promo tour. We're out on the road doing that. Um, almost die in a bus accident. Oh my. Um, so that's a fun story. Uh, the day the record comes out, we're in Chicago. Um, having a, we did a bunch of in-store appearances. Um, we're having a dinner, like celebratory dinner. I get a phone call from Steve. And he says the label got shut down. So finish dinner, get in the bus, come back to Nashville. I have your office packed up and all this stuff. So the, that record never really saw the light of day. Yeah. It was, it was in stores for maybe a week. Wow. And then because the label was done, product just got pulled and sent, you know, it went to dollar bins or just got, Unbelievable. Destroyed, destroyed. So that was not a fun situation because we had all like put our hands in, we're going to really commit to this thing. And then it just, everything that we had promised to Joel and Patrick, like completely fell flat. Oh my gosh. So yeah, that, that was, um, that wasn't fun. Um, and then, and then that's when I really started getting back into, so now I'm out of a job, right? Yeah. Out of a band, out of a job. 
Um, and so I still have the studio and that's when I really kick up the production things. Sure. And so that enters into the season where I did, gosh, we did, you probably know better than me, maybe three or three celebrity records. Yeah. Um, yeah. We did so. mining for, or, um, love sick. Love sick's great. Great record. And so that, so the story with love sick is, so after the sleepy P, uh, which now that I'm saying it out loud feels strange to say, um, <laughs> sleepy P. Um, we actually were getting some attention from major labels, so they were doing yeah. a lot of showcases, and 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 we came very close to signing a record deal with TVT, who okay. they yeah. did the first, you know, they did Pretty Hate Machine, the first Nine Inch Nails records, and yeah, and had a bunch of stuff. So we were getting, re I mean, lawyers were involved. Budgets were set up. I think I had actually booked studio time. Um, and then right before the, the guys signed the record deal, TVT got involved in this massive lawsuit by some rapper. And it basically took the whole company down and they dropped all potential signings. Unbelievable. So we were pretty crushed. And so the lovesick record was sort of born out of that. We had all these songs that we were going to do yeah. for, for this, you know, with this, with some money and some budget, and it was going to be on a, a fairly sizable indie label. Um, and now we have no money and all these songs, but I got a free studio sitting in the backyard. So that's how that record came about. We just were just to kind of like, let's keep spirits up. Let's just go in. The backyard, yeah, and and do that. So that's kind of how that. How we think, didn't Doghouse put that out? Doghouse Records, yeah. And then yes, and yeah. then we so we made it, and then and then had some relationships and and connected with the Doghouse guys, and and they yeah they put that out. And at that time, I think they had that was right when they had that band All American Rejects yeah. and Get Up Kids were in like all yeah 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 yeah. So there was a little bit of, you know, we got a little bit of heat. A little traction. Yeah. yeah, a little bit off that. Yeah. Uh, well, that was a fantastic record. I love the production on it as well. Um, I've, you know, I, you. I, I knew Ryan uh, Parrish from Hope's Fall, so I always kind of linked, you know, I followed what he did, and that's kind of how I met. Uh, I think Celebrity came through, and I, I wound up meeting Lance and the Fine Brothers and all that, and uh, fantastic oh, awesome. guys. Yeah, they're so cool. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, getting Ryan in the band is like massive. He's a genius. They, yeah, because they had a they. There was like two or three other guitar players. I think when we made the records or made the first record, I can't remember if Ryan was. Oof, sorry, Ryan, if he was on <laughs> Lovesick, um, or if he came at some yeah. point in yeah. in that. Um, but yeah, it, it, they had some revolving. The guitar player spot was a, a revolving door, and so when they met Ryan, and just and then what was kind of going on with Hope's Fall and Ryan needing a, you know, wanting to make a life change and yeah, like that was a big. It's like when you know when you have the right group of people, you, yeah. you know, yeah. you just know it's like okay, this is it, and cool. and we're moving forward and all these years later, you know, we're still making music. Together. Love that. Yeah. And I was going to say, we're going to I want to talk about in parallel a little bit, which is mm -hmm. essentially an offshoot of, of celebrity. Yes. Um, yeah. And so you are 
producer, but you're basically you're in the band. I, and so I kind of want to know um, how that kind of has come to fruition. And I, again, great record, great band. So just let's talk mm. about that for a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So um, when Celebrity ended, um, you know, it it got a little it got a little quiet for a minute, um, just as far as hanging out. Um, I had, I had a different studio space. Um, and, and, but Lance and I were still, you know, some of us were still hanging out. Um, Lance and Ryan, and I did a side project called the good wolves, oh, cool. which was like, um, it's, it's, it's up on the streaming services. Um, I didn't know but it's basically, I, I wrote a lot of the the music, you know, like play drums, play, you know, guitar, yeah, you yeah. know, just the bed stuff. And then I would send it to Lance and he would write the the top line and the lyrics. Um, and then we, and then we formed like a full band around it. Um, and it's just like, basically it's a Queens of Stone Age ripoff. <laughs> like that's all it is. Um, and it was super fun. And so, yeah, that was called the Good Wolves. Um, Ryan and Lance were in that. And and we had a couple other just little like yeah. messing around and little projects. And then I think that was when I was starting to get into real estate. Lance, Ryan, and Jesse from Celebrity um, were talking about doing doing something. Like he sure. still we still want to work together. Um, but they didn't have a drummer. So the so they started writing with loops and yeah. and it was more of an electronic vibe was, was the first stuff. But I wasn't, when they started recording, I wasn't involved at mm-hmm. all. And then at a certain point in that process, I started coming back in and again, I was doing real estate. I wasn't producing, Yeah, but I think I came to the studio just to listen and hang out. And, and at some point, I ended up sort of picking up the reins and helping finish, finish that first Very project. Cool. Um, and at that point, everybody's still, you know, everybody's got jobs and families and sure. know, it, takes a little, it takes a little bit longer to, to, to get yeah. to stuff and, and get it out. Um, and so we get, so that's broken codes. Yeah. That's the right, first right, project right. called right. broken codes. Um, and then, and then we get around and then, so it, I'm kind of back in producer role and which is a great, you know, I, you know, I love those guys and we love hanging out and, um, and it's a great outlet for me to keep doing music. Yeah. Um, so we're getting ready to do the next project. Um, and then at a certain point, the guys just came to me, and they had asked, they might've asked me a, a few, you know, a couple of times, like just be in the band. And I had, uh, you know, I was like, I appreciate it. That's so thoughtful. Um, I'm just not sure I can yeah, you know, commit, yeah. commit on several levels. And, and then at a certain point I was like, yeah, yeah, I, I should, I should do this. I, yeah. I, um, and, and I'm glad, um, I said, yeah. So then, um, yeah, so that's the Fashioner yes. project, um, which, and in a similar way to what I talked about, like the intentions with PFR, like with with, 
with Lance and Ryan and Jesse, it's always each project. It's like, what can we do different? How can we move in a different sure. direction? Sure. Um, can we just make it a bit better? Can, can yeah. each project just be a little better than the last? Um, and, and so fashioner, you know, we were, we were trying to move in another direction. There's actually, there's maybe one or two songs where I actually play drums on. That's cool. Um, and, and the big thing about that project is, um, I definitely didn't want to mix anymore. Um, mm -hmm. and felt like it was important to, to find somebody else. And so I didn't tell the guys, but I, cause I didn't want to say, Hey, I'm going to do this and then it fall apart. But sure. I had managed to make contact with this guy named Ken Andrews. Oh, I love uh, Ken. I love failure. Yeah. Ah. So Ken Andrews is the singer of this band called failure, which is a massive influence on totally. celebrity and Lance and Ryan and Jesse. And, um, they were actually the guys that, you know, back in the day turned me on to failure. And then Ken did a, a record called You're the Rabbit, yeah, which is right. my favorite record still. Record. So anyways, I managed to get his contact information and I reach out to him because he's he's also an amazing mix guy. Like yeah, he's mixed great. the last couple Paramore records and yeah. he, he's mixed Nine Inch Nails and, you know, he's, he's, he's a, a monster. Yeah, he's a monster. So I reach out to him. I send him some roughs. He's like, yeah, I would love to mix it. And so I sat down with the guys. And I was like, so this is a thing that can happen. <laughs> and I, I don't, I have a memory of maybe Ryan crying. <laughs> like, uh, I, like I bet he one, did. I bet he did. One single tear. So getting Ken on board was like a huge lift to the band and the project. And it just, it sounds fantastic. Absolutely. Um, and so and yeah, so we were able to, yeah, so we just released that independently. Um, and we're able to get some nice, you know, some, some fans along the way that happened during COVID. So yeah, you know, we haven't played any shows still. Um, we're just really enjoying being, we're just really enjoying the studio. It's cool. And writing. Um, so we're, we're in the process of working on the next project, which Very is going to be three songs. Um, these songs actually came out of, we went into a studio last summer and just took a day and just jammed. That's cool. Um, and then out of, out of that came fairly flushed out song ideas. Very cool. And so that's what these, um, two of the three songs are basically one take. It's, it's one take the, wow. like the bed track is just one take of us kind of doing a, you know, jazz exploration, cool. <laughs> you know, That's just, cool. yeah. Yeah. So we're super, we're really excited about this, about these tunes. Yeah. When, uh, when are those expected to come out? Uh, that's a great question, Jeremy. <laughs> we were hoping to get them out by the beginning of the year, but uh, it's April. Yeah. yeah. Uh, as we record this, sure. um, so we're super close. Like we we're yeah. working on it on the weekends. Um, hopefully, middle of summer. Okay. Fair hopefully. Enough. 
Yeah. Yeah, you know, it, it comes out when it needs to come out. So. Yeah. 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 Um, any label interest in, in this at all? Are you just going to self-release it as well? Yeah. So, well, actually, Fashioner, we did connect with a small label that helped us. That kind of did some promotion. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just kind of a small one-off deal. Yeah. Um, some promotion and and kind of helped kick in some money to to do vinyl. Very cool. Um, I don't know. We, we're just taking it one project at a time. Like yeah. just what feels like the right thing. I get it. I get yeah. It. Very so cool. we'll we'll see. Maybe. Yeah, mm-hmm. man. Very cool. Well, I know you can't predict the future, but tell me what what's uh, actually, what's the future actually, like, for you? Jeremy? <laughs> I'm pretty good. You're a man at, of many talents at, at crystal balling. Sorry. What's uh what's the future like for you? I obviously you just mentioned in parallel uh songs, but uh what what else what do you got on the docket? Yeah, so um yeah, so music wise it's it's in parallel, which is great. And then in the last year, um the PFR stuff is happening. Yeah, yeah. yeah which has been super has been really fantastic. Um we had over the last 10, 12 years let's say 10 years. Um, we've had seasons of connecting and then maybe seasons of not being in each other's life. And, um, and around about a year ago, we, we all kind of came back into each other's lives. We, we met up at a cabin in Wisconsin just to hang out and, and just, and reconnect. And, um, and it was a really, amazing weekend. Um, but that time together, there was no conversation of like, let's do music. Let's, you know, yeah. whether it's writing or play a show. And then over the course of the summer, that conversation just slowly dipped in and it was out of like, Oh, we just, cause we're all in three different States. Sure. So I live in Nashville. Joel lives in Minnesota. Still Patrick, uh, is in Phoenix. And so we just were missing each other and music is a really great way for us to, it's Hang a good out. excuse to like, <laughs> we can be in the same yeah. room together. So, uh, Joel has a farm up outside of Minneapolis and he's got this really amazing barn event space out there. So the plan was hatched to do two nights in Joel's barn. That's so cool. Um, and so we just, sh- we, and it only seats like a hundred people. So, and you know, I'd created a little Instagram account. And so just really out of that, we put the word out and, you know, sold, sold out all the tickets and people flew in from all over the country. So cool. And we did, we did two nights. It was, um, the last night of September, October 1st was, was when it was, and it just was so, it was a really, we've had a lot of really special moments in our history together and in our timeline. And it just, and this was just adds on to that. And it, and so out of that, we were like, well, what's, what's the next thing that we want to do? And then yeah, so after those barn shows, um, and then the fall happens, and it's like, let's do a Nashville show. Yeah. So we did that uh, the first week of March, and that was incredible. Um, again, we had people flying in from all over the country. And, and in the meantime, we've been rediscovering old 
tapes and old demos that, you know, um, and that, and writing and writing some new stuff. So, yeah. So the plan now is again, after we do a thing, the plan is just like, okay, we did that. You know, we did these shows here. We did this show in Nashville. What feels like the next right thing for everybody. And right now it's, it feels like writing and recording. So very cool. That's the plan. We have probably, as of the recording of this, I think we have six or seven songs. That's incredible, man. Yeah. That we feel really excited about. That's cool. Oh, that's really yeah. good to hear. I did not expect to hear that, but that's really awesome. Very, very cool. Yeah. Man. Yeah. So we're definitely, the intention is definitely to record those. Um, Jimmy said he's game coming in again and cool. Um, yeah. So, and so just figuring out how do we do that in 2023 without a label? Yeah. And, and living in three different states. Totally. I get it. I get it. I get it, man. That is so cool. I, um, I'm really stoked. Hopefully, uh, you know, if you guys are around somewhere, I'll be able to attend at some point. That'd be really cool. So absolutely. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for your time, Mark. I, oh. this has been such an awesome conversation. I'm really, really stoked. And, um, yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Absolutely. Thanks for having me and putting up with the the rambling. No, it's, and it's the long pauses and the fuzzy memory. Hey, you know what? It was an awesome conversation that I won't forget. So I really appreciate it, and uh, hopefully at some point we'll, we'll get to meet in person. It'll be really cool. So. Oh yeah, it'll happen. We'll make it happen. Awesome, man. All right, I will talk to you soon. Hey, thank you to the listener for tuning in again. I really appreciate your support. Uh, Thank you to Mark Nash. What an amazing conversation, amazing person. So stoked to have forged a friendship uh, over this. So really cool opportunity for myself. Um, If you told 16-year-old Jeremy that he'd be talking to Mark Nash, uh, man, I would have lost it. Uh, I guess I'm still losing it at 45. So really, really cool. Got some amazing artists on the horizon if you'd like to add me on Instagram and Facebook at the rumors are true cast. If you want to like and subscribe, go ahead. You know, I'm not going to ask for it. So, Hey, nostalgia still is a hell of a drug.